Um, would y'all turn with me to, uh, to John 10 this morning? Uh, the 10th chapter of John. Uh, we'll read the first 21 verses. That passage, John, John 10, 1 through 21. Would you stand? <clears throat> John 10, 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not know, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So they will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, and he is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are thankful to you today. Lord, thank, thankful again that you brought us here once again uh, in this place to come together for worship and Bible study. And Father, we ask that you help us in all of this to keep our focus upon you. Lord, to be aware of your presence here with us. Uh, Lord, to be um, open to your truth. We, we ask that you open our understanding to receive uh, the truth from your word today. Use it all to grow us in your grace. Lord, use it to, to move us in your kingdom work uh, as, we, uh, as we go forward and as we look for your coming and glory. Lord, use it to increase 
our love for You, our desire for You to know You better. Lord, use it all to bring glory and honor to Your name, we pray. Again, we thank You and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. How would you like to live the maximum life? That kind of idea gets thrown around a lot, doesn't it? And usually centered around verse 10 where Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And uh, and I too want us to have that in view today um, with the things that we're considering here. But um, if I just put that out there like I just did, and, and, um, and ask that question, how would you like to live the maximum life? Uh, what, what would your answer be? Yes, yes. People say yes. Well, suppose I was talking about life and maximum security. <laughs> is that what you want? <clears throat> well, my point is this. It needs some definition, doesn't it? The, and, and that's what happens a lot of times with the, with the preaching and the application of verse 10 uh, it seems to me is that it gets wrongly defined, and so a lot of times it will, for example, will be centered around the, the idea of abundant life or maximizing life will be centered around um, earthly things, material things, worldly possessions, and so forth. Sometimes just uh, fleshly pleasure. Um, pleasure is not a bad thing, but um, the, the pleasures of sin that that this. Uh, brief experience we have in this world offers. That's certainly a bad thing, and, and, and yet we are constantly bombarded with the idea from the world that that is something we should pursue, and some of that is even, of course, crept into the church. Uh, so you hear phrases, again, from the world, you hear phrases, you know, like uh, talk about living the high life. You know, some of these, you remember some of these beer commercials, like living the high life or go for the gusto, and that's what they're trying to do. These guys aren't dumb. You know, these marketing guys, they, they know what people want. People want to be happy. They want to be satisfied. They want to have pleasure. And so that's why they use uh, those kinds of catchphrases to get your attention. And then they try to tell you that their product will get you there, whatever their product is, you know. Um, it'll get you there, whether it's beer or whether it's a, a new car or, or a sharp-looking suit or whatever it is, you know. Go for it. It'll make you happy. It'll get you there, and you can have the maximized life. And then, as I said, we have people in... The church world, at least the professing church world, that are even preaching another gospel um, under that same kind of those same kind of uh, ideas. Uh, you know, in other words, you can be rich, you can never be sick, and all of these things. And this is what Jesus meant by have the abundant life. So, so they're even uh, trying to say that they're that they are uh, telling you the truth of this text here, and and uh, and using things that uh, I think are are wrongly defining what Jesus is talking about here. But there, there is certainly an abundant life. I mean, Jesus does say that, doesn't he? He says, I came that they might have life. And we'll talk about who they are in a moment. That they might have life and have it, have it abundantly. Pretty strong word there. Um, so what does he mean? Now, before we get into that, I, I want to um, kind of help us get this in context again because it's so easy, especially with, especially with the chapter divisions, 
it's so easy to to just kind of forget where we're at and just and just think we've totally shifted gears here. All of a sudden, Jesus brings us this parable. Truly, I say to you, he um, or this analogy: Who who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, uh, that man is a thief. So all of a sudden, he's talking about um, the, a sheepfold and sheep and a shepherd, and 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 goes on to talk about himself being the door and the good shepherd. But there's a, a, a context that this is to be taken in. So, for example, um, Jesus is, has, has been and is, and this is, this is one thing we want to keep in mind, he, he's talking about a group of people chosen and called to himself. And he's going to go on in, in talking about that um, uh, using these uh, similes and analogies likening uh, this group of people to sheep and himself to the door of the sheepfold and, and even to the, to the shepherd, the good shepherd. And, and again, Lord willing, we'll come back to that in a few moments. But he's, he's already been making similar statements. So, for example, if you go back to chapter 6 for a moment and look at verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So he's, he's got a, a select group in view there. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and I won't cast them out. Look at verse 39, chapter 6, verse 39. This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up at the last day. So again, he's talking about a group of people that the Father, God the Father, has given Him, and Jesus says, they will come to me, and it's God's will that I don't lose any of them. Verse 43, uh, he continues the thought. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So he's still talking about this group of people who come because they were given to him by the Father. They were taught by the Father. And so they come. He says, I receive them. I don't cast them out. And I will keep them. And I will raise them up at the last day. And let me um, read a few, couple more verses there. Verse 46. Um, not that anyone has seen the Father except... Uh, except he who is from God, he, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So again, uh, that's, that's what he means by coming to him, coming to him and knowing him and knowing eternal life. Now you drop down to verse 65, chapter 6, 65. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now let's... Fast forward a little bit to chapter 8. And what he's doing all the way through here, especially when you get to chapter 8, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's drawing this contrast between uh, those who are of the world and those who are of God. Those who are of God, the same group, I would say, um, as what we just saw in chapter 6, those who are given to him by the Father. That same group of people. And that he's going to, in chapter 10, when we come back to our text for today, he's going to be referring to as the sheep. The sheep. So here in chapter 8, you look at um, 
verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. He's talking to the Jews, the, uh, specifically Jews that are uh, opposing him. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. My word finds no place in you. Look down at uh, verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Now look down at verse 47. Whoever is of God, now notice that, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And he's already said to them, you're of your father, the devil. So what I'm submitting to you is that every time here, when, when he talks about the people who hear the words of God or the people who are given to him by the Father or in chapter 10 where he talks about my sheep, every time he's talking about the same group of people and he's distinguishing them from the world, those who are of the world, those who um, are of Satan, have Satan as their father and so forth. So that's the... That's the contrast that he's making there between those who will not come to him, or as John puts it, uh, you know, light came into the world, but they, they wouldn't have it. They wouldn't have, have light. Light came into the world. They loved darkness. They, they didn't want to be exposed to the light because their deeds were evil. So it's said in different ways, but you've got that contrast. Those who are of the world who hate the light, those who love the light who are of God, Again, those over here who's, who's, um, in, who's, in whom Jesus' word finds no place. You know, they don't hear His word. It finds no place in them, as He said. And then these over here who are of God, who are given to Him by God, who hear the word and receive. This, they become doers of the word, lovers of truth. Now, let me jump ahead just for a couple of verses here. Look at, look at chapter 10. And uh, this is going beyond um, what we're going to um, really be covering this morning, except, I, again, I just want us to have it in view. Uh, chapter 10, verse 26. Um, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. And, and again, that's the metaphor that he's using here, sheep, flock. My sheep, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. So do you see the contrast back in chapter 8? He says, my, why don't you understand what I say? Because my word has no place in you. And then he goes on to say, it's because you're not of God. Well, you, you get that uh, same concept here. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. That is, you don't hear, but my sheep do. And verse 28, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. All right. Now, another thing we need to have in view here as part of the, the context. Um, look back in, in chapter 9, verse 34. Remember everything that has happened here. Jesus healed the blind man. Glorious, glorious testimony of, of a blind man who is, who is given sight by the Lord. 
and then it's just an amazing exchange, uh, the, the, the discord, the talk and everything, um, the dialogue that happens between them. We talked about that last week. But remember the, the, the parents of this man who was born blind, born blind and, and made to see by Jesus. When, when they are interrogated by the Jews, the parents of this man, who you would think would be elated because his affliction is now history, um, instead of being elated, they won't even speak up for him for fear of being kicked out of the synagogue. Right? Remember that? And what happens consequently, because the man who was formerly blind <coughs> is elated, <laughs> and he doesn't mind testifying on his own behalf, what happens consequently is he is kicked out of the synagogue. I think that's what John is saying in verse 34. They say to him, that is the Jews say to him, you were born in utter sin. That's a slam, by the way. Probably what they're uh, insinuating there is, that's why you were born blind. You're just, you're just sinner to the max. And here you are trying to teach us. Who do you think you are? So they say, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? You hear the disdain in their, in their voice and in their tone. And they cast him out, John says. They cast him out of the synagogue. The, the very, in other words, he's been excommunicated. doesn't mean they just booted him out you know, um, geographically, they, out of that place at that moment. Um, but it means he's been excommunicated cut off from the synagogue. The very thing his parents feared has now happened to him. And by the way, he doesn't seem all that disturbed by it. Um, well, he, he can see. I mean, you know, that's what he's concerned with at the moment. And he's concerned with knowing the Lord. When the Lord comes to him, you know the Son of Man? You believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Well, um, he says, it's, it's me. You've seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And verse 38 says he worshipped him. So his concern now is to know Jesus uh, and not so much uh, membership in the synagogue. Uh, I mean, at least not if that means, um, you know, if that's in conflict with knowing Jesus. He'd rather know Jesus. So here we are. That's where we find ourselves. That's the context. Jesus has been making this con contrast, which he's going to continue to make here, between those of the world, those who don't believe, who don't receive Him, who won't believe in Him, follow Him, who won't do His Word, sometimes they may even confess to know Him and, and, uh, and, so, and believe in Him, but, but their actions prove that they don't. They won't, they won't obey Him. They won't follow Him. They won't do His Word. So contrast between that group and the group that is of God, the group who does come to Him, the group who does receive Him, and believe in Him, the group to whom He gives eternal life and to whom He promises uh, um, or of whom He says, I will raise them up at the last day. So you got that contrast between uh, those two groups and now this immediate context of this man being healed and being cast out of the synagogue for his, uh, his new relationship with Jesus, for his belief in Jesus. Bear those things in mind. Now, Chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief 
and a robber. So another contrast emerges here, which which has we've really been seeing all along. In fact, you see it not only all the way through John's gospel, but um, all of the gospels. And here's the other contrast. And we've already got this this contrast between those who are not of God, you know, they're of the world, and the people of God. But here's another contrast. False religion and true religion. Or you could think of it in terms of a false way to God, because that's what false religion is. A false way to God versus the true way to God. A false, quote, truth, that's an oxymoron, but you know, just, just for sake of uh, what we're discussing here, a false, quote, truth versus um, true truth, what Francis Schaeffer called true truth. It's sad that we have to uh, even make that distinction today, but we do a lot of times. So that, now that is emerging. And that's what I want to kind of focus in on, along with um, the distinction between the, the two groups of people um, and here's what I think Jesus is getting at. And let me do it this way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna take, uh, use his analogy, and take one at a time the false and the true. So I want, I want to start with uh, the false, which is what uh, Jesus starts with here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door, so there's the false, by the way, and now here's the true, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Okay, so on the one hand, and he's going to use different terms as you move through here, but you've got thief, this is to designate the false religious crowd, the false, let's, let's say it this way, um, because specifically what, what Jesus seems to have in view here is the false religious leaders, although, of course, what we're going to say is going to apply to false religion in general. But he's, he's singing about the leaders and their life and conduct, their misleading life and conduct. So he's going to, he refers to them as thieves. He says a thief, they're a thief, they're a robber. And then, a little further down, he refers to them as hired hands. Hired hands who have no real concern for the sheep. They don't love the sheep. Rather than um, being there as a faithful shepherd for, for the benefit of the sheep, they are there for their own benefit at the expense of the sheep. They don't love the sheep. They don't care for the sheep. So Jesus is going to say when the wolves come, well, you know, they run. And it's every sheep for himself, you know, that kind of thing, because they don't care for the sheep. But the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So, um, in the analogy, first Jesus says, if someone comes up by a way other than the door, he's a thief and a robber, but he who comes through the door is a shepherd. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name. By the way, do you see that, um, um, again, a reference to uh, those people who hear him, who receive him. He calls his sheep by name. In fact, if you look down, let's just kind of make a connection real quick. Uh, 
in, in, in terms of the people of God. There in verse 3, He calls His own sheep by name. Verse 4, They follow Him, for they know His voice. Um, verse 5, A stranger they will not follow, for they do not know the voice of a stranger, or, or of strangers. So they've got uh, His own people that are given to Him by the Father, that are of God rather than of the world, that come to Him. They've got a resistance to error. They won't hear the voice of a stranger because they know their Master's voice. Um, and then down, again, just to make a, the connection here, Verse 8, he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers. He uses that again. But the sheep did not listen to them. They wouldn't hear the thieves and the robbers. And he's probably, by the way, he's probably referring there, all who came before me, he's probably referring to false Christ. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Okay? Then a little bit further down, verse 14. I know my own, and my own know me. And then he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then um, again in verse 16, uh, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now I'm probably not going to have time to get into that this morning. I just want to say this real quickly. I think that is a reference to Gentiles. Um, so so this is, this is a, a prophetic word about the inclusion of the Gentiles, you and me. So hallelujah for, for, for verse 16. Amen. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, but listen to what he says about them. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Again, because, why? Because they're included in his people. They are of God. They are of that group that the Father gave to him. They are his sheep. We are his sheep. Okay. False, the false leaders, Jesus refers to as thieves, robbers, hired hands, and then of himself, and this is where the contrast is, he's contrasting himself with them. Of himself, he says, uh, first of all, I am the door, verse 7, and then verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now, now, let me point something out here. I've, I've looked, you know, I looked at this and looked at this and looked at this. I want, I want to do what I think uh, a lot of times we have to, we have to do. Is what is Jesus' main point? Here's why I say this. Because if you, if you read the, the analogy there that he gives, it almost sounds like there's a confusion of, um, of metaphors. Listen to what he says. In verse 1, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Okay, fine. Verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. So the shepherd of the sheep seems to clearly represent Jesus. But then in verse 8 he says, I am the door. And you're going, wait a minute. What? I thought he was the shepherd that entered into the door, thereby showing that he's the authentic shepherd. Well, I think the truth of it is he's the door and he's the shepherd. 
I mean, his, his main point is not to, like, take every detail of the analogy and make it all work out. His main point is there is one way, period. So if you've got other people claiming to come to God through other doors, claiming to get in the church, in the, into the people of God, through other doors than through faith in Jesus Christ, he's saying that's false. I'm the door. There's no other way. Now, at the same time, if you've got other people claiming to be shepherds, you know, we are faithful leaders that will get you into right relationship with God. Jesus is saying, that's false. I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd, the one and only good shepherd. So, he's the door and he's the shepherd. So, there appears to be a little bit of confusion of, uh, of uh, metaphors there. But again, I think if, if we just realize what Jesus' main point is, there's really no problem. Man. He, he didn't intend, uh, I don't think, for that uh, whole metaphor to be broken down <laughs> piece by piece and make it all fit. He's just saying there's one way. One way. There's one truth. There's one true mediator between God and men. The man Jesus Christ. And, as he's going to go on to point out, there's one true religion. If I can use that term in a positive way. That, that term, a lot of times today when people use, uh, preachers especially, use the term religion, it's almost always in a negative connotation. And I've, and I've done that myself, and I understand the, the temptation to do that. But the, but the truth is, um, there is such thing as true religion, which James speaks of, for example. So it's not, you know, religion as opposed to um, faith in Jesus, genuine faith. Uh, it, it, way I think we should think about it is true religion versus false religion. Religion, um, and again, I understand why people do that, and, and, but, but, but just kind of get specific here. R- religion itself is not bad. I think that's what Christianity is. But it is the right religion, <laughs> and it is the true religion, and there's no other, and that's, that's Jesus' point here. Okay, so his point is there's one way, and he's the way. He's going to emphatically state that right in chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes through the Father but through me. That's his point here. Now, Let's look at the reasons, uh, again, making that contrast between them and Him. The reasons for coming. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, most people, um, again, it's, it's probably mo- most of the times I've heard that preached or quoted or whatever, people re- apply it to Satan. Which is true. I mean, I'm not going to take issue with that, except that that's not what Jesus is saying here. Um, he's talking about false teachers. False teachers and false religion. But, but if you want to say that's satanic, I'm on board with you, okay? I'm, you're right. Um, but, but he's not specifically talking about Satan there. He's talking about false teachers. They come only to steal, kill, and destroy. So... Their, their religion, their way of life, their way of living, their way of manipulating people and so forth, the sheep, is destructive. Now, it's, it's probably not necessary that they intend to kill, steal, and destroy, 
in order for Jesus' statement to be true. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, they, they may be totally deceived themselves and they think that they are coming with good intentions. So they would be quick to tell you, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I, met, I know, I've met and known, um, know some Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, that are, are, by human standards, you know, we say good people, by human standards, they're good people. And I don't think their intention is to kill, steal, and destroy. Their, their conscious intention. And yet, that's what false doctrine, false religion, false teaching, that's what it does. And I think that's what Jesus is meaning. He's, he's, getting, he's saying, this is, all, this is why they exist, this is why they come to kill, steal, and destroy. Whether, and, and again, uh, just paraphrasing, whether or not they know it. But what about Jesus? Well, he gives his reason in the same verse. I came, you see the contrast? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, or to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So while the, and, and, and he's, he's still within his analogy, while the, 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 the pretend shepherds, the false shepherds, who are in reality thieves and robbers and hired hands, while they come to kill and destroy the sheep, Jesus says, I came so that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. So now you've got a contrast, and this is, again, where, where Jesus is going with this, between Himself, the true way, and the false teachers. Now, why would he do that uh, all of a sudden right here at this place? Now, this is where I want us to think back on when I was setting up the context. What just took place? You've got a man who was blind from birth. And he's not born in some kind of um, religious vacuum. He's born in a, na- in a nation that claims to be the people of God, and we're indeed supposed to be the people of God. So, again, his, his surrounding, his environment, it's not just any nation, it's the one that God has chosen to bless, that God has blessed with His revelation, that God has blessed uh, in the form of written revelation and, and prophets and priesthood and temple, all of these things. In the midst of that extremely religious environment, here's a man born blind. Okay? What kind of care does he receive? I know it may sound like a little bit of a strange thing to ask, but, but that's actually what's, what's at play here. That's what's going on. Let, let's just consider. Let's consider it this way. When he was healed, what was the response of the shepherds that were over him? Ecstasy and <laughs> joy. Hallelujah, we've been praying for this guy ever since he, the day he was born and now he's healed. What about his own parents? And these aren't pagans. I mean, this, is, this isn't happening in some place like Athens, Greece. 
This is happening in Jerusalem. In fact, it may very well be during the celebration of the feast that we've been talking about. Or if not, it's, it, it's between, between the two. Still, it's, it's in Jerusalem here, so, or, or in uh, Judea. So, here's a very religious people, and specifically, extremely religious leaders, men who have devoted themselves, supposedly, to the service of God, who have no real concern for whether the flock has true life or not. They have no real concern for the welfare of the sheep. Instead of, instead of the shepherds, these shepherds who are kicking this man out of the synagogue, instead of these shepherds existing for the benefit of the sheep, they think the sheep exist for their benefit. John MacArthur has a great um, sermon on the, the, the widow's mite, you know, the, the, the widow that came and, and dropped in, the, the, we say pennies, the two pennies, all, all of her living. She gave all that she had. And people a lot of times take that and, and think, well, man, that is, the, that is the ultimate example of Christian giving. And what John MacArthur does with it in his sermon is say, that's an, ultimate, that's an example of people being financially pilfered by their religious leaders. I mean, they're just taking everything they can get from them. And he points out, you know, that Jesus doesn't condone it. So, that's, that's what's happening here. You've got shepherds, quote-unquote, religious leaders existing to benefit off of the sheep, and they have no real concern for the sheep. So, Jesus goes on to say they're like hired hands. And verse 12 says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep... And right, Jesus already said, right, that they belong to Me. You know, they're, they're My sheep, they hear My voice. But the one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So all of these shepherds think about it as their own hide. Now that's, that's their main concern. And when wolves come and ravage the sheep, which is the scenario he gives in his analogy here, um, that's okay with them. As long as they come out of it, good. They're not concerned for the spiritual welfare of the people. You know, not concerned for their physical well-being, much less their spiritual well-being. And so he sets himself over against that and says, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Or verse 10, I came that they might have life. I'm here for their benefit. Here's what the good shepherd does, or the good leader, the true mediator. He comes to serve. He comes to save. He comes to sacrifice self for their good. So he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see the contrast? The hired hands flee so they can save their own hide. But Jesus says, the good shepherd 
lays his life down for the sheep, of course, talking about himself. The false teachers flee or shepherd flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And that's, that's what Jesus is underlining here. They care nothing for the sheep. That's why in another place he, he, he looks at the crowds, the multitudes, and he, he, we're told that it, he saw them as sheep scattered without a shepherd. Because the religious leaders of the day had no interest in truth, generally speaking, and, and, no, and therefore no interest in the people. But he says, I know my own, and my own know me. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it, uh, to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. A little bit of application here. <clears throat> what is Jesus talking about when he says, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly? Well, he's talking about um, the true, the real, <laughs> maximized or maximum life. Prosperity in the true sense, not necessarily having a lot of money or things, but prosperity in the true sense. So, in, in all of his discourse here, he's talking about knowing him, being reconciled to God through him, having life, that is, eternal life because you've been reconciled to God. And that's what life in the truest sense, is anyway. In other words, death, spiritual death, would be or is to be separated from God. To have life is to be in fellowship with God. So when Jesus says, I've came that they may have life and have it more abundantly, that's what He means. So that we can have restoration and fellowship with God in the truest sense and in the fullest sense. He wants it abundantly for His sheep. And so much so that He goes and lays His life down. Now, here's, here's the application I want to make on that. For us, as far as checking ourselves, we, we've got to be sure that our, our interest is, is really in what Jesus is talking about here, right? Let, let, me, let me just emphasize again real quick that this is not a non-religious crowd that Jesus is setting himself over against, you know, making this contrast. He's not talking about the pagans out there. He's talking about the ones who claim to serve God. When he talks about these thieves and robbers and hired hands, these religious leaders, Again, you see, he's not talking about the politicians who are trying to take advantage of people and get all their money. He's talking about the religious leaders who are supposed to be leading people or pointing people in the direction of truth. 
He's setting himself over against him. Now, he's not talking about Pilate here, or Herod, or Caesar. So that's worthy of our attention to see that the ones that he's contrasting himself with are the very ones who claim to be doing God's service and who claim to be living for God. Our culture today, and this is even I mean, coming at us from outside the Christian world, but, but from inside too, our, our culture today tells us that there is something positive about religion in general. And you see all these kinds of studies, you know, whether it's a, a Pew survey or something like that. You see all these kinds of studies about how good it is to be religious and how good it is to pray and the positive effects. And, and I hear... Christians pick up on this all the time and talk about it. See there? See there? Even the world's recognizing now that it's good to pray and it's good. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. It's not necessarily good. What, what they're doing is not good. But they're very religious. But they're lacking things like mercy. So he tells the Pharisees in two places in Matthew. He quotes from Hosea 6.6 and he says, go learn what this means. You can imagine what a slap in the face that was for a Pharisee. Go learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Is he, is he saying that God doesn't want sacrifice? Was Hosea saying that God doesn't want sacrifices? No, but he's trying to show that there's something beyond that, something deeper. And if you, if you, if you don't observe that, if you don't adhere to that, then you, you cancel out the effect of the sacrifice. The sacrifice is nothing in and of itself. There's got to be love for God, and there's got to be love for people. And there's no mercy here. A blind man receives sight... And they don't care. Even his parents. They've got a greater fear of being cast out of this religious structure that existed in their day. A greater fear of that than love for their own son. Or else they would have been just overjoyed at his receiving his sight. But for them, it meant trouble because it's going to get us in trouble with the synagogue. So there was, there's a greater love for, a greater appreciation of man-made religion and man-made tradition, man-made rules and ideas of what godliness is. There's a greater love and appreciation for that and a willingness to adhere to those things then there is a passion for truth and a willingness to adhere to God's own Word. Jesus says, My Word doesn't have any place in you. That's why you don't understand. And He's saying that to the religious crowd. But, hey, man-made religion 
didn't open this man's eyes. It wasn't a dress code or something like that that gave him sight. So, so the confidence is misplaced when it's, when it's put in those things. In other words, the, the focus of true religion is Jesus. Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, and His Word. And that's the focus. True religion pursues truth. And that's why true religion has Christ at its center. Again, the person of Jesus. And only true religion, that is faith in Jesus Christ, delivers. So I, so I say again, it, it wasn't dress code or you know, any kind of moral code or something of that nature that opened this man's eyes. It was an encounter with Jesus. Now this whole thing just set these people into confusion again so that they're one against another. Verse 19 says, there was a division among the Jews of these words. Many of them said, he, he has a demon and he, he's insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It wasn't their religious system that delivered that man. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And the way He did it, what He did, even when He did it on the Sabbath day, all of these things just went against the grain. of the religious crowd wasn't going against God's will. He was doing God's will perfectly. But it was going against their perceived, uh, preconceived ideas of godliness. So the true maximized or maximum life is one that is focused on Christ. He's the only way to God and one that is focused on following Him. Remember chapter 8, if you continue in My Word, you're My disciple indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's the only means of being free. It's the only means of experiencing abundant life. A true walk with Christ. true relationship with Jesus. Would you stand, please?